Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Hey guys, hope y'all are having a great week. It's Wednesday, that means a new podcast is dropping, and that means tomorrow is Podcast Trivia Day. Um, For those of you that don't know, Podcast Trivia is something that we do here on the Seek Outside Podcast. Uh, If you would like to play, all you got to do is join the Facebook group Seek Outside Adventures um, and listen to this podcast. And tomorrow, uh, Thursday at 3 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, I will be posting a question that is specific to this podcast that we're doing with Ford Van Fossen. First person to answer that question uh, wins. And what we're giving away this week, it's a little bit different. It's not a Seek Outside backpack, but it is pretty freaking cool. What we're doing is we're giving away a $100 uh, First Light gift certificate. You can use that gift certificate to re-up for turkey season. Or just stock up for the uh, the upcoming big game season. Its applications are coming out. Um, all the regs are coming out, so I'm getting stoked for that. Um, cool. Stay tuned tomorrow, 3 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, and I hope you guys enjoy this podcast with Ford Van Fossen from First Light. But yeah, Ford, good to have you on, man. We definitely yeah, ap- appreciate you jumping on. It sounds like you guys got a lot in the works over there at For- First Light. Got the whole waterfowl line jumping in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been a busy fall and winter for sure. Adding a new category, turns out, is a lot of work. I can imagine. Especially waterfowl. It's like waterfowl guys are so into waterfowl hunting. Uh, I feel like everything's probably got to be got to be perfect. So have you have you just been kind of bopping around to all the states in in the lower 48 just slaying ducks and geese or how's your how's your winter been? Yeah, kind of <laughs> a fair <laughs> amount of bopping around, um, you know, me personally, but also all the members of our team getting out, kind of putting the final paces on testing and and content creation to support the launch this summer. Um, so it's it's definitely been busy, but it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, as somebody that grew up waterfowling, right? I mean, that was kind of my first love that really was hunting growing up on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. It's been so neat to sort of learn so much more about waterfowling through this process. It's sort of like I was I was born and raised with it. And yet there's so many other versions of waterfowling across the country. So many other passions, so many other critters, you know, that people chase. It's been, it's been a lot of fun, man. A lot of work, but definitely a really cool process. It's not on your site yet, correct? Or am I just missing it cruising on your site? Yeah. So, so you can see sort of, uh, our preview right now. We've got a bit of the story of, of developing Typha, our new camo pattern up um and we've got some of sort of the underlying philosophy for the line up there now but the the details are still forthcoming yeah i was i was taking a look at it i mean it looks it looks very very marshy 
what did the what did kind of like the process like how long have you guys been developing that waterfowl line there uh years yeah it's been a long process um for sure in terms of you know obviously conception and then into you know testing more testing more testing on top of that i forget the details i I think that this this pattern typha i want to say it's it's version 11 variant six something along those lines in terms of tweak 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 again tweak again tweak another time tweak another time um getting those colors right getting the both the macro and the micro breakup right it's it's really a long process and frankly you know it I'm excited to release it this summer. We've been sort of scheming over it <laughs> for so long. It's going to be nice to finally put that stuff out to the to the folks and and kind of show them what we've got. It's it's pretty neat. It's it's really cool stuff. I mean, we've kind of all been waterfowling has really always been a part of first light. Um, maybe more so than anything else. It's kind of the kind of hunting that unites all a lot of the employees in our office, and we've always used the gear for hunting. And, and so many of us grew up, you know, as waterfowlers primarily. Um, so it's neat to really finally take that passion, that experience and combine it right with our technical know-how when it comes to putting together garments um, and, and kick out a waterfowl line that I think is, it's, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly gonna be a pretty neat uh, offering of apparel for sure. Yeah, no, that's, I'm, I'm excited because I've, you know, I've been rocking my, this, this past duck season and goose season, I was rocking my, you know, Brooks down, but I had it in fusion and it's just, it's pretty freaking dark. And I don't know. I mean, maybe you can, um, break it down a little bit more. You probably know a little bit more on the science, but uh, like waterfowl and ducks, like when people are thinking about camo, like obviously in the big game space, there's a lot of people that are using solids now um, because people are kind of seeing that camo's not everything, right? Um, it's it's not like the end all be all. See, and that was pretty obvious from the beginning when you had like Fred Bear and and Eichler out there, uh, you know, just killing it with a trad bow, wearing red and black flannels and yep. shit like that, but. Uh, I, I guess it's my understanding that waterfowl uh, are much more in tune with colors and stuff like that. Could you kind of break down the science of, of that if if you know much about it or maybe just your field findings? Yeah, I mean, no question, right? I mean, camouflage matters, waterfowl hunting, um, especially if you know, obviously it all depends, right? The, in the best blind in the world, it, it doesn't matter quite as much, but it, if you're sitting on the riverbank, as as coincidentally I do a lot of in Idaho, you know, sans blind, um, you know, no, no real structure to conceal you besides maybe some toolies or whatever, I would argue camouflage is very important, right? Um, and so to your point, yeah, waterfowl, you know, turkey also probably falls into that department, you know, pretty, pretty uh pretty much you need camo uh to get it done and, and serious hunters are wearing camo right and i got to, i got a question well go go ahead guys mm-hmm. i'm just cruising your side no, no. i want to ask a bunch of first light questions later then yeah well i i guess 
an interesting point there, Ryan, that you highlight, right, is that light-dark thing. And that was a big point of contention, pointing, putting this together. Uh, because it, you'll find Typha is lighter than I think a lot of the patterns on the market right now. Um, and that was, you know, largely, uh, I have to say, the campaign of Sean Weaver, who's over on the meat eater side, is kind of their master of all things waterfowl and was really someone we relied on in the development process. He's he's just kind of as as dyed in the wool waterfowling as you can possibly get. I mean, he just subsists off gas station burritos, crappy coffee, and white monsters specifically. Um, very unhealthy hand, human, very unhealthy. Um, but, you know, he's lived that lifestyle, you know, hunting north, south, east, west for for like a decade at this point. And that was really something he drew a line in the sand on and was like, it has gotta be light. Everything blobs up at distance. Yeah, does it blob up when you're looking at your buddy standing right next to him in the toolies? No, it doesn't. But a duck that's flying 50 yards above you uh, is, is seeing very often dark shapes as those patterns just kind of blob out amongst the reeds, grasses, corn, stubble, whatever it is. So that that's really to Sean's credit, the push for that being a pretty light and open pattern overall. Um, and, and, you know, again, so much credit to him and, and all the other kind of experts that weighed in on that, because that's really what I think makes, that has made Typha what it is. Yeah, it, it seems like um, it's, I would say there's definitely some waterfowl applications where a darker pattern could be useful but i mean shit man the majority of the waterfowl hunting i've done you're sitting in tulies and reeds in the you know in november when everything has lost its color um so yeah for sure for sure and to, and that's a good point i would highlight right typha is designed for tulies for marshes for cornfields, it it very much is not designed for timber, right? For dark, dark environments, and and that's a good clarification. I wouldn't claim it is the best pattern in the world for a, a timber hunter in Arkansas, um, but for those of us that are hunting pretty open marsh or agricultural environments, it's uh, a strong candidate. Let me say for best pattern, in, in my opinion, which is obviously biased, but. We'll see. We'll see what the duck population looks like after na- next season. After it gets to released, I think that'll be the biggest, the biggest tell there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, what what were some of your highlights of um, of this past duck season? I mean, did you go on any, any cool trips that were out of the ordinary for you? Yeah. Um, Dev, unquestionably, the highlight for me was getting to actually to hunt in Maryland again, where I grew up on Chesapeake. Um, it was really neat. Um, we were filming, uh, we had to film, you know, goose hunting, field goose hunting, which is sort of the bread and butter. That's really, really what I was raised with. Um, on the Upper Eastern Shore, that's kind of, that's kind of, uh, gospel. Um, so we had a great goose hunt, 11 man limit, um, on the property next to the farm I grew up on. So kind of very nostalgic um, reminder of, of sort of how great a place it was to grow up from a waterfowl perspective. It was cool that the camera guys we had with uh, the boys from Capture Creative, Hunter Rudd and uh, Jordan Riley, 
uh, it was just neat seeing it through their eyes. Uh, and so much as, you know, they're like, this is awesome. There's geese everywhere. I'm like, yeah, there is. There, there's geese everywhere. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of geese around. And, you know, later at the, at the end of the trip, actually, they're like, you know, we, we've filmed, you know, with First Light, with whoever, all across the country, north, south, east, west, all, all kinds of hunts. And both of them said that actually the eastern shore of Maryland was the first place they had been outside of their home in Minnesota where they said, like, yeah, this would work. I'd move here, which really? was cool. Um, it was just it was a neat reminder of me how fortunate I was to grow up where I grew up. Um, so anyhow, we did field goose hunt, and then we had uh, went to a very good family friend's place uh, for ducks, and shot um, uh, a four-man limited ducks uh, on a on a booby blind out in just a picturesque marsh on the chop tank, and and shooting limited ducks in Maryland's kind of tricky. You can only kill two mallards um, in Maryland, really? so one greenhead and one hen and that always that makes kind of shooting a limited duck sort of jigsaw right it's like well you got our, yeah. we got our mallard we got a mallard there you got, the, you got your mallard she's got our mallard uh we got a gadwall we could fill in teal here it's sort of like you got to build this roster in the moment and we just got into the teal you know getting buzzed by five six seven dozen teal all at once in the late season in january really? which is unexpected um yeah and so we were able to shoot i think 17 teal and that really like allowed us to get to that six man or six duck limit for four guys and and to cap it off we shot a banded green wing drake which was pretty pretty nifty yeah that, that's perfect man um yeah that's that's very interesting um it it's tough when you're hunting like that it's it's like you know you hear about guys in texas where or california or something like that where it's um you know just all all pintails and rice fields and it's like they got mm-hmm tons of ducks coming in but they can't shoot any of them i was i kind of had a similar situation at one of our one of our early season spots this year where you know it was just i had never seen you know colorado's not known for um it's pintails i would say right because it's Mm kind of i don't know there's no it's not much open marshy area but um but yeah we were we were getting tons of pintails but it's like you really gotta know your ornithology when that when that happens, and um, oh, yeah. I can see how how people could easily get get especially with greenheads because you're so so used to shooting them. You know, you're just like mm-hmm. you're used to picking them out and and stuff like that. But um, oh yeah, that's cool, man. That's um, yeah, that's fun that you got to get back to your roots and you know it was test, neat. It was really really neat. Absolutely. Yeah. And cool. You know, I think a lot of it too, having grown up in such a waterfowl oriented place, you know, the, the guys, the camera guys when we were there, like, they were like the damn street signs are named after ducks here. And it was like, really? Yeah, I guess, I guess that's, I guess that is how it was. You know, it is, it is a pretty kind of waterfowl crazy place. I mean, you know, the uh, world championships, the goose calling are there, the waterfowl festival, you know, they close the high school down when the waterfowl festival happens every fall. And, so very just a very waterfowl oriented place and it was just a nice a a nice reminder of how fortunate again i was to grow up there and b kind of it's like cool you know now the company i work for is is in this world too uh mm-hmm. so it felt like kind of a homecoming i think from even a work perspective even yeah um so with this new waterfowl line are you guys coming out with any new i mean is it basically just mostly going to be iterations of some of the items that you guys already have, um, but with different camo patterns or are there going to be any, 
new no, specific it's water a whole fountain. new product line yeah okay. so bunch of new gear yeah i mean certainly inline products gonna be is gonna be featured in in typha also right um you know a lot of our kind of workhorses are, are going to translate seamlessly um to the to the waterfowl line you know which is easy for a company based on merino wool right um, mm-hmm. a, a, an insulator that retains much of its warmth in a wet so you know there's definitely carryover but no there's a whole new product line that'll be dropping in the summer also okay uh can you go into anything anything that uh can we get a sneak peek of every, anything or is it all pretty tight-lipped right now I'm, I'm totally shut up on it, unfortunately. Yeah. But <laughs> Makes it's sense. some cool stuff. It's definitely yeah. some cool stuff. You know, an emphasis certainly on um, weatherproofing, um, yeah. be that wind, be that water, and an emphasis just on durability. Um, because I think, you know, oddly, from a Westerner's perspective, oddly enough, you know, we're not, you know, we're never hiking 10 miles in, we're not packing elk out on our backs. But I think waterfowlers in many regards you know, just mud, rain, snow, freezing, thawing, freezing, thawing, getting thrown in a trailer, right? Getting, mm-hmm. living in a trailer, perhaps getting forgotten, getting frozen to the back of your truck for a week. Waterfowlers are hard on gear, man. Um, and so durability was another major emphasis in the conception of this line. That's a good point. Cause this, this past January and, and December, my waiters, uh, the only time they got unfrozen was when they were on in my truck on the way to the duck spot because I'd get them yep. wet, take them home, hang them outside. They'd, they'd be frozen throughout the day, and then uh, and I'd just keep them out there. So, yeah, durability is probably, probably something pretty big there. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, the other thing I'm, I'm sort of – preaching to the choir here uh, in terms of y'all's product line. But, you know, we're always, I think as Western hunters, especially, and, and even even walking into the tree is from the whitetail development perspective, we're always thinking about weight, right? How much is it wet? That's what we're, we're scrolling down through the product page to look at how many ounces the product is. It was nice, with I think, with waterfowl, you know, obviously we were going for slim fitting gear, um, not extra fabric, et cetera, but you're a little untethered, right, from sort of that ounce counting game with waterfowl because you're more worried about staying dry and not ripping a jacket open potentially than how light it is. Um, so that was kind of a, you know, it's sort of a new and freeing experience a little, I think, from a design perspective to change your mentality there. Sure, there's a little bit of a, a shift in what your focus is. Do Absolutely. any of your and again? Do any of your uh, items? So I was just gonna say. Oh, go ahead. I caught you twice, Kevin. I, I was gonna say it's not to say that packability isn't an issue, right? Um, but I think it's it's almost more of like a car camping versus backpacking analogy, right? It's sort of like, you know, you're in a boat, um, you're dragging a cart in, you're driving a truck and a trailer into a blind. Now that doesn't, that doesn't cover everybody. I, I actually do a fair amount of walk-in stuff where I actually use my seek pack. Uh, how about that segue uh, product wise, but I've used my, um, I've used my, I'm trying to remember the name. It is the Peregrine, I believe. It's either Gosshawk or the Peregrine. It's a 4,800 pack. Uh, with a zipper down the side and a meat shelf. Which one would that be? Sounds like the Gosshawk. Does it have a mesh Goss pocket Hawk. in the back? Or or is it like uh, mm-hmm. 
No, the no mesh Gossock. pocket. Gossock, Gossock. not Patron. <clears throat> yep. yep. So Gossock, I've used that pack many times. I put like eight decoys in it, and then I put sort of my blind bag on top, and then you know cinch everything down. And I've even carried my waders between the talon and the uh, bag of the pack before for like real walk-in. You know, I'm walking in a quarter mile, half mile. You don't want to be just Christmas treeing in type situation several times. Well, that's exactly like what the Talon was pretty much designed for, right? To be able to carry something else in there, be it something that you don't want in your pack or some sort of overflow or whatever, you know? So. Yep. No, it worked great because, you know, carrying, as I often also do, carrying like a loose bag of decoys on your back and then you got like a blind bag over your shoulder and you got a gun over your shoulder and your dog's running circles around you. You can be a real junk show for walking hunts uh, without that frame pack, I would say. Yeah. Well, and the the breakaway portion of it is is nice for, you know, carrying out animals. You know, that's obviously what it was designed for. Yep. But especially if you take a game bag, uh, I've, you know, the, the stringer, the, the neck stringer for ducks can some, sometimes get pretty uncomfortable unless you put them mm-hmm. in like your decoy bag. But then you got an extra weight there. I've used it for mm-hmm. like use that breakaway portion to to throw throw ducks in. So yeah, so definitely another use. Well, well I was, I'm f- always joking about that. Like somebody, and I understand why it will never probably happen because it's such a small market. But like the walk-in frame duck hunting pack that has it sort of has it looks just like my pack, but maybe it has drains and like a decoy chamber, and then there's like a quote unquote, you know, blind bag chamber attached also. I'm just seeding ideas selfishly with your your team. Hey, Kevin, we gotta get Kevin more into waterfowl hunting. He's 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 roped into the to the upland hunting. Gotta get him on some on some ducks. Well that's all I feel like that's all we talked about last time I was on the podcast, Kevin, is uh I think we probably that was like before Rue's first season and now we're sitting Honestly, after his first season yeah. here. How, how'd your dog do? Uh, good. Good. A qualified good, I would say. Uh, the waterfowl probably ran was, around was for light. Probably ran around crazy for about 30, 45 minutes and sort of ran the stupid yep. out and then it started to focus a little more. Yep. Sounds like a yep. young dog. I would say so. Yep. Yep. He got a ton of days in, which was great. Um, and I would say uh, he found a lot of birds. We killed at least, we killed two def- decisively over his points, which seems like very few for the number of days I was out, but I was pretty pleased with that. Um, yeah, he's finding birds well. The waterfowl part needs to be developed quite a bit. His retrieve is uh, his retrieve is a little lacking right now and his swimming ability is almost non-existent. But in the upland department, I think uh, I, ha- I have more confidence. What kind of dog is it again? He's a small Munsterlander, uh, which is sort of a little spanielly, settery, uh, almost looking German dog. So it's it's more closely related to to German dogs, but it looks it looks a little more spanielly or settery, like I said. Setters aren't necessarily big swimmers. Yeah, I think. 
in theory, in theory, the breed's pretty water oriented, and I've seen his his half brother who lives in town leap into the water with reckless abandon as a puppy, and he just doesn't love it. Um, so we're we're working on that. But you know, my excuse maybe is that around here is as probably is not too dissimilar from where y'all are at. The water is just kind of always cold. You know, it's trout stream country. Um, so even in the summer, the the river's damn cold. So he, you know, it's not like he was ever going in a warm farm pond um, as a puppy even. So I, I, I do kind of wonder whether that doesn't help a whole lot. And now it's even colder, obviously, uh, <laughs> in the dead, of, the dead of winter. So we've sort of paused uh, water and we're going to pick up in, uh, you know, sort of April or May, I think. Uh, and maybe even go a little nuclear option with a taped wing duck, perhaps, to really get things going. No, I think I think uh, the water part you're on to. Um, my short hair is not a not a water lover, and I, I attribute a lot of it to I'm primarily in fairly cold water areas, mm-hmm. and she's she's like, you know, this is all right, but um, I'd rather warm up. Yeah, yeah. I don't at this point, to be honest, have the highest hopes for his great abilities as a as a duck dog, but at the same time in life. Uh, you know really close to us the the upland opportunity is probably a little better than the waterfall opportunity uh at least around here locally so it's maybe not the end of the world well that's cool um so let me ask you a couple more first light specific questions you guys have this whole new line coming out right are there things from the new waterfall line that make its way back into your Big game or whitetail or any of the other lines? That's a good question, Kevin. Um, I'm trying to think what technologies go back, uh, back and forth, so to speak. You know, I I can't think of too many. I mean, waterproofing technology obviously is shared, certainly mm-hmm. cross category, um, and obviously, you know, merino wool runs throughout. But um, I think we're still sort of pollinating those uh, those technologies, if that makes sense, coming kind of back and forth at this point. So it's relatively standalone. So I was looking at your site as I was looking at the camo pattern, right? And I see Mm -hmm. this whole meat eater season 10. And I see one of your former employees in the photo. Like how is it different now that Cal's part of meat eater? And you guys are now a part of Meat Eater, or is it just like everyone's like, or is he just kind of like come in and like takes up right where he left off before? Well, yeah, it's sort of funny. Cal sort of left the company and sort of, uh, you know, we're coworkers again, right? It's, it's yeah. an interesting dynamic that way. He left the company, but but didn't really leave the company. Um, I see less of him because he's not, you know, haunting around the office and catch him, obviously. Uh, but you know, still get to t- chat with him quite a bit. I was I was on the phone with him today, actually, and emailing back and forth on some sort of uh, collaborations in, in sort of the conservation world we're working on. Well, let's go. Cool. So, um, also, I see you have a stretch knot, a flex field belt, and I have a question mm-hmm. on that one, primarily as far as recommendations. Um, a lot of times when guys are carrying heavy loads of their packs, they'll mm-hmm. get a little hip bruising or have a little discomfort underneath it. Um, mm-hmm. It can 
a lot of times be caused by a lot of things, but one of the big culprits mm -hmm. is belts that kind of dig in. Mm -hmm. um, how has, does your flex field belt do? Does it relatively resolve that? Is it wide enough? Has a little bit of stretch? Or, or do you not know? Or you know, I haven't heard. I have I have not heard complaints on that front personally. Uh, I think it's probably low pro enough in my experience that it, it's not a, a big belt rub causer, so to speak, in conjunction with hip belts. Um, it's not. To, I don't want to speak for our customer service team and say that you know with a hundred percent certainty they've never ever heard that, but it's certainly never ever come up in a meeting particularly. So it, it does seem to run pretty well uh, with packs, and at least in my experience. Cool. I might have tried one out. But, you know, that's, to your point, that's, uh, I feel like it, more so in at, at your company than ours, that I feel like that fit of hip belts is, is sort of a bugaboo, certainly. It is, and especially a lot of the, uh, a lot of the thinner belts with bigger edges mm -hmm. kind of end up digging into people's skin a little bit. Especially when they got mm -hmm. a big load and they're cinching everything super tight. Yeah, definitely. So, so Ford, um, getting back to the whole waterfowl thing, um, <clears throat> I'm just kind of curious from from our team's perspective. How does it how does it look um, when you enter into the marketing aspect of that and like how do you prepare for um launching a new product like that like is it a and i, I particular me particularly mean in like the media space um mm -hmm. are you guys like planning these big trips or how does how does that process work yeah so it starts um it starts with what we refer to as the gauntlet, um, and that's the testing process, right? So I guess, you know, purpose A, obviously, is to break the gear down, um, mm -hmm. expose problems, uh, make the tweaks necessary, right? Um, and then we do, from a marketing perspective, uh, increasingly we're getting in and documenting that, right? Uh, showing that process ultimately to the consumer um, to give them a reason to buy it, right? Um, to show them that, you know, we didn't just draw this stuff up on a computer, print her out and send it to customers for their testing. Um, and, and a lot of that too is I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of validity in showing the ups and the downs, right? So I can, I can think of several moments in this process where it's not just like, oh, this jacket's awesome, man. It's like this pocket's in the wrong place. You know, mm -hmm. this, is, this is not working. Um, so that's kind of, I think where it starts from a concept perspective is, is in the testing process. Um, and then as you move forward into, into, you know, sort of the go to market, as we call it strategy, you get into the creation of, of what we call selling assets, which is sort of jargon for the pictures and videos that will ultimately be used to market the product. Um, and typically how, how we frame that is you know, we put it against a storyline. So we don't just go, well, we do, but we, we for these for these larger efforts, we're not really just doing photo shoots, right? Um, we're going and following along um, in order to ultimately tell a story as a standalone piece. And I, I won't go into the details because that's, you know, that stuff's still forthcoming on the waterfowl front, but we're going to tell a story 
and we're going to take pictures of the new product and we're going to to film detailed walkthroughs of the new product kind of all in one swoop if that mm. makes sense so so it's a storytelling shoot but it's also a, the shoot that re- generates sort of the the raw materials uh that we use to to communicate to the customer okay and when you were in the initial like product testing phase do you have and you don't have to name them but do you have anybody in particular that is like just such a pain in the ass because you know they get a new product product or a proto or whatever and they just list off 17 different things of what could be what could be different about it do you have any of those because i know we oh, yeah. do at the seek outside crew yeah 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 we've got some ornery folks but you know you kind of want them right you want oh, yeah. to rip stuff up um so yeah you know yes and no you really don't the most valuable folks are not the ones that just kind of rubber stamp stuff it's it's the ones that break stuff down um and and tell you what you're doing wrong can you name any of them <laughs> i'm not going to name names <laughs> you right. do want constructive uh criticism that gives you something actionable um for sure i've talked about that a few times that um on different podcasts or different thoughts like that that yeah rubber stamping just is is, is no good right it doesn't no. give you anything right um no. and that you, and that you have to be able to apply apply the criticism and also also make sure that it's relevant for the target that you were talking to at that time, right? Like maybe someone has a comment, but it isn't necessarily relevant to, to waterfall usage, right? Or, for sure. So you have to make sure, you know, like when we're talking to people, someone who's a backpack hunter, we're looking for different attributes are far more desirable than someone who's maybe a horseback hunter. You know, they yep. just are. Yep, definitely. And important to do test gear across all of the that spectrum, right? Um, you know, I think traditionally we've been guilty of being too backpack centric, um, and and lately in in our Western line, for example, we've been focusing on uh, you know folks, guides, outfitters that are riding, right? They're on horseback or even they're you know even they're riding a utv they're doing a lot of driving around and glassing you know whether that's hunting out ad in new mexico uh where you're you know glassing driving from glassing point to glassing point or uh you know folks uh riding around and and sort of checking up on folks you know checking up on individual deer and elk on ranches in the west via utv you know we we uh we i think are guilty of thinking sometimes that all the hunters are, you know, sort of backcountry backpackers. Like maybe uh, we often tend to be here in central Idaho, but uh, I think we're doing an increasingly good job of sort of widening our viewpoint of how people hunt. I would say we're probably doing a little bit of the same thing and that we maybe have, I don't want to say have focused too much on the self-powered public land fair chase hunter. But it's also what we're far most familiar with. Uh, sure. I, mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't go to really any lodges and do anything out of that. You know, I mean, I've done one private land 
hunt and it was on like 60 70,000 acres or you know as far as like yeah. a big hunt you know yep yeah yeah but I, you know i think it's a fine line in in between it sort of depends on your intention from a business perspective right and who you're marketing to um that way but it's taken you know to your point it's taken a a little impetus on our part to be like hey let's go find those hunts where you're riding horses or let's go send some guys on a hunt where they're spending a lot of time in a utv so we can better understand that because i think as i'm sure you would you, you two would echo this but you just cannot you can't fake it you really you can't just design products without actually having been in this situation and and I know that sounds so basic, but I think that that's a source of constant aha in our industry. Um, one for me is always getting back in the whitetail woods and getting in a tree stand and just remembering what's involved in climbing a tree and the fact that you're suspended in the air and or in a seat in the air and everything has to be hooked on to things, right? You just, and, and that, I think that mentality cannot be, um, manufactured in a lab or or you know a design studio you got to be out in the environment in a tree whatever it is in the backcountry backpacking or riding a horse and thinking about how it is you access pockets right when you're on a horse and your legs are spread on both sides of that critter it's just uh you can't can't replace the the value of getting out and testing it yeah that's very true and i mean especially now I, i think with the influx of of people getting into the outdoors i mean i see it with first light especially like um so many new hunters that i see in the space just in like you know buddies that i've gotten into it or have gotten into it and come to me or whatever i've gone hunting with you know they're they they want the best of the best gear if they're going to be making the investment um i i am seeing that people are like jumping full-fledged into you know the best backpack the best gear and they want to know that okay i'm taking this big leap into a new hobby i want to make sure i'm getting the the top tier stuff and yeah i think it's you know but like what you were saying you you can't you can't fake the experience because cheap stuff especially in the outdoor world cheap stuff is is just i i feel like it's like you can get away with like a cheap car for a while right like especially if you drive it right but um in a life or death situation you got to have that that merino wool you know there to to keep you warm when you're soaking wet after you took a, a plunge in a creek or whatever so um Certainly. yeah i think i mean it, it's so important to have people just out there testing the and and not just testing it in a mediocre way but like actually getting in troublesome situations oh, yeah. with it and depending on it to to get you through so yeah. yeah, I was just in a meeting actually literally right before this coming coming to chat with y'all and we were sitting down in regard to new prototypes for um, a couple of years out and, and it was, that was sort of what we were discussing is like, what is the most egregious situation we can draw up for this? You know, mm-hmm. uh, how hot and sweaty a hunt can we find 
in the country. Uh, how cold a late season whitetail hunt can we find? You know, just take it to the limits uh, because, you know, obviously that's the best way to figure out what works and what doesn't. For sure. Yeah, man. Well, Kevin, do you, you got anything else for Ford? I do not. Right on. Is now my time to shamelessly ask you all questions? I realize this is going to probably come off as an advertisement for your brand, but no, I'm no, it's totally cool. Like, I'm very interested. I actually had minions at Western Hunt uh, checking out the new packs um, mm. for me, uh, so I was curious if uh, if you could give me the spiel on the new pack line. First, as, what did, as I mentioned, I what did your minions say? Well, about they were impressed by the weight. I haven't gotten the full debriefing yet. Here's uh, the funny part. Those guys. I was actually handing packs to people at Western Hunt that I thought were just stuffed with air. And they seemed ridiculously light. And mm-hmm. as we were breaking down, I found pillows and blankets from, from our VRBO in there. So while they seemed <laughs> nice. impressively light, they're actually lighter than what a lot of people handled um i mean a couple of them did have just air i think the divide was just air but like the uniweep that i thought was ridiculously light had pillows in the bottom that i that i found so it was really about Mm. a pound lighter did they say anything about the color or color scheme no Mm -mm. no color was not mentioned Uh, so there's two colors available right if i recall um wolf gray is it i Mm -hmm. might i might be guilty of pulling up your website right now um so i can ask more informed questions there was wolf gray and then there was like a charcoal right or darker color even maybe yep so we had disagreements so charcoal wolf gray is probably excluding charcoal is the best packed fabric nicest looking packs we've ever made in my opinion with the wolf gray looks kind of like a foliage mm-hmm. uh the combination of that and the spectra grid accents and harnessing mm-hmm. at least to my opinion looks pretty sharp um the charcoal though is like at a whole different level as far as durability mm-hmm. um capability weight um it's it's obscene practically it, it really is just when you compare it to everything yeah. else um we had some people were like, ah, well, not every hunter is going to want to buy a charcoal pack. I had concerns about that myself, but we decided the to, color. yeah, the color. Um, mm-hmm. But all of us thought they looked pretty sharp when we were testing them and in the field and stuff. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. hiking behind Owen. Uh, we were going to a alpine lake chasing big brook trout, and. Mm-hmm. I thought, dang, that pack looks pretty good. And it was just in subalpine kind of trees, rocks, terrain. Um, yeah. The So some people thought, well, Wolf's going to outsell versus the premium price. And some people won't be crazy about the look with the Ultra. But so far, Ultra has been killing it on sales. It is. Oh, yeah. It, it has just been killing it. almost To the point that we've almost said, like, well... If this holds, we might just move away from the wolf, which I would think yeah. was is the nicest looking pack we've ever made to this point, excluding the mm-hmm. ultra. 
I see. I like the ultra a lot. I think it looks good, but, um, I mean, I just, you know, I, I, I guess I run a green pack. I just pack colors also just like not, I don't see that as like a negative. I mean, I, one of my really good friends actually hunts the white pack, which is probably far less than ideal, but, uh, I can't say that she's ever like flared, uh, a critter. I mean, it's, in my head, it's kind of behind you anyway. It's sort of like not what something would see. It, it is. Uh, and it's, it's kind of funny because a couple people were critical of it when we released it. They were like, and you guys probably get the same stuff. You get people that are like, oh, first light, they just did this idiotic thing. They don't understand. You know, not everybody, but there's mm-hmm. like a small percentage somewhere that is like, they just don't get it or whatever. So we released the Ultra and there, there were a couple people that said that they weren't they weren't totally sold on the looks or whatever. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, SO doesn't get it or whatever. Um, one of them commented a few pages later that he guessed that he was in the vast major- in the majority, you know, because mm-hmm. there, were, there were so many other people and it was a hunting forum that were like, I dig it. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah. we, can't, we can't please everybody. We're about providing trying to provide you with the best tool that we can and that best tool is ultra. yeah well and i don't know when i think about when i think about like the hard l of hard l hunters right she think about like sheep guides in alaska they're like the least camoed out matchy matchy i mean think of like the old barney's packs they were like that sort of awkward like green black combo um you know, I think a lot of impressive rams have been packed out by people not wearing camouflage packs. I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm not saying it's a downside. It's probably a plus to have a camo pack, but at the same time, I don't know if it's enough. It's certainly not enough of a plus in my book uh, for me to act on it. Obviously. You know, there's certain uh, things I actually don't really want camo. Um, mm-hmm. High end binoculars, I don't want them camo. I want to find mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah. It's. I lost a pair of camo binoculars recently, so I can I can I can definitely sympathize there. Yep. And I honestly don't really want my pack to be camo. What if I set it down on a hillside and go mm-hmm. chasing a critter, say for the last bit? I kind of want to be able to find it pretty easily when I get when I get back to wanting to look for it, instead of being mm-hmm. like, well, it was some even even if it's within. A 100 yard by 100 yard block in some tall grass. If it's camo, that can that could become quite challenging to find. I mean, sometimes yeah. you can practically be standing five feet from a trail you thought was there and not see it. You know, yep. with mixture of grass oh, yeah. and whatnot. I've done that. I've definitely done that. Which is why, as a side note, I really love my orange talon to put in another shameless product. Uh, pitch for seek outside but that thing i've never been as excited about like uh, arguably a cosmetic element (laughs) by of my gear but i just yeah rifle season comes on and i pull that thing out and put it on there and uh, it just feels neat and safe and all the good all that good stuff it's got some function too you know there's a lot of uh oh yeah not getting shot yeah yeah yeah. Good, that's a good function. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's probably the biggest one. But yeah, and you know, the I don't know, I feel like when you're hunting, you're 
doing most of your hunting at first light and last light <clears throat> where the shadows mm-hmm. are huge and a lot you know there's a lot of blacks i mean we were talking about it with like y'all's camo um you know like the specter and stuff there's giant swaths mm-hmm. of of sometimes it's brown sometimes it looks a little bit black but there's big mm-hmm. swaths of dark patches in there and you look in the woods same thing there's you know there all sorts of shadows underneath down timber and um so yeah i mean the, the i think it looks pretty freaking slick and i mean i don't know oh we well, we tested it this this past year and it was it was worth it well you guys had I, and i you you guys had cow out like three yards from you or whatever while you're wearing ultra so it obviously wasn't hurting you yeah i honestly just think man it looks uh to me just to throw out one shameless compliment more it just uh, to me like looks like a high-tech pack you know what i mean um it looks intentional it looks like it's made by people that know what they're doing um yeah all the above just and that's just how it reads to me and maybe i'm biased because i'm in the industry and i i get you know you see a lot of sort of the same thing uh and and you know when i see that pack i'm like yeah i don't really know what ultra is but i'm sure it's like very badass and high performance that's sort of like my takeaway because you haven't actually given me the pitch but like that's that's sort of like the takeaway just seeing it you're like oh that's fancy and it's made in japan you know at night from like the scales of of you know uh a rare fish and imported and and machined under you know by specialized machinery and it weighs less it's negative it actually floats you know <laughs> yeah you want to know it's I, like my assumption i actually i actually told nathan i think driving back that we should explore loading packs with helium balloons to see if we can get one of the lighter ones to almost levitate like how oh, much for sure that, that would be like great yeah. at a trade show Oh yeah. I mean, you definitely could just get one of the big ones and fill it with a shitload of helium, and I right. imagine you get the thing to float, right? Yeah. We're gonna do that so for here's, BHA rendezvous. That's what we got to do. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, I'm gonna follow up my question. So this is not a hypothetical, really, but I'm gonna phrase it as a hypothetical, so it sounds less desperate. Um, if if you are a person from Idaho that. Uh, like to backpack hunt and uh did so somewhat frequently with probably trips many day hunts but trips probably up to like four to five days uh what pack would you recommend for that hypothetical human in the new lineup well kevin you want it i'll give you You a chance and then i'll take a chance you you and then me let's see let's see how different it can be yeah. So, so for me, for, I'll, I'll just give you what I have because I absolutely love it. So I have the Goshawk 6300. Um, I am a big fan of that removable talon. Um, you know, I think it's super useful. Uh, I mean, A, you can store stuff in it. It's basically a removable face pocket. Um, but mm-hmm. I love that it, I, where it really came in handy and I, you know, I've packed out, you know, antlers before, but this year in, I went to Alaska and we did a Brooks Ranch caribou hunt and, you know, caribou have some of the weirdest antlers out there, right? It's just, there's all sorts of weird angles. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I use the talon to to compress the the head onto the back, and it kept it. You know, that's always the weirdest thing is when you're walking and the the antlers are just kind of swaying left and right. It it kept it yep. perfectly compressed on there. So I I'm a big fan of the talon system. Um, I actually have the two tall side pockets on mine, so um, I like those because you can put um, you know if you're carrying a rifle. It offers a little bit more protection in there um, just to mm-hmm. keep that scope kind of covered up, um, especially if you're going through, like, in Colorado, it's all oak brush everywhere. So um, I like that. Right. Um, and then have the internal load shelf just for um, organizational purposes. I like to use it. I'll throw an extra load shelf on the inside there so that I can, you know, throw, like, my stove fits perfectly in there. Um um, oh, wait, wait, sorry. Can I stop you? Yeah. I'm not sure if I know what the internal load shelf is. Oh yeah. So it's, it's basically, you know, like all packs have like, or well, a lot of the backpack hunting packs or pack out packs have mm-hmm. a load shelf that goes in between the frame and the bag. Mm-hmm. We, we have mm-hmm. an internal load shelf for, and it's, I think it's mostly designed for people that, um, want to put their quarters or whatever inside the pack bag. Um, it's the mm. same concept that just goes inside the pack bag. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, but yeah, cool. that's, I don't think that's I've seen my that ideal. So yeah. I would go. I would give you one of. I'm not going to be quite as detailed as Ryan. I use what I would use ninety percent of the time is a pack that is now on our site termed the Kenai. Uh, it's mm-hmm. basically the same as the Lanner, um, but it's integrated, saves a little weight. It does have an internal load shelf, and I can run with that, and it turns into a pretty good, a real good little day pack as well. It's not mm-hmm. overkill for anything from backpacking to an, an Ultra. It's about a three-and-a-half-pound pack. It's pretty darn reasonable, right? I also do not do not think there is anything wrong with going with a Uniweep or Gossok style pack with a talon in your favorite mm-hmm. color. The benefit, <clears throat> like if you go the Uniweep, you're going to save about eight ounces. If you go mm-hmm. the Breakaway, you'll get a little more adaptability but a, and a little mm-hmm. more complexity and a little more fiddle, but they're essentially the same pack. Um, and choose your poison. For me, I often choose taking a Merlin, uh, which weighs about 13, 14 ounces. So I have a day pack Mm -hmm. so I can go run for water or go glass from a ridge real quick or something with that. I would Mm -hmm. take that over a breakaway, which costs you about eight ounces, but it's just all an attempt to keep the weight low. And frankly, um, a lot of your country, is a lot like a lot of my country um, in that Ketchum to Stanley area. You have the Hemingway mm-hmm. Wilderness over there. Looks A lot of it looks like it could be out of my backyard. The Sawtooths mm-hmm. are a little more rugged, um, but aren't that much different than like some spots of the Weminooch, right? They're, they're probably a little more toothy, right? And that's about the only thing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the similar country, if, if things didn't start with two or three thousand feet of vertical then maybe i wouldn't stress over six or eight ounces 
quite so much, right? But mm -hmm. uh, a lot of uh, the spots I've usually hunted start with about a 2,500 to 3,000 foot vertical climb, which, mm -hmm. you know, every time I think about that, I start looking at, hmm, eight ounces here, six ounces there. And if I can trim three or five pounds, I'm trimming three or five pounds. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So load shelf, are you saying load shelf is sort of a big part of it then, Kevin? Is that my understanding you right there? Not really. Um, the Kenai has an internal away. load shelf. The, mm -hmm. the, the Kenai has an internal load shelf, right? It's not a breakaway pack. It's super easy to use the internal one. Um, mm -hmm. You can throw your pack down, unzip it, and be walking. You can, you you can be walking with game on your back faster than you can with an external one, because it's kind yep. of constrained by the pack bag and stuff. However, that doesn't mean anything against the external variation. There's some advantages to that. For instance, I only have to carry the pack bag out once. You know, I can sit there with a the talon um, if I'm using the breakaway, uh, and I can quarters on the talon or whatever there's good breathability there so they each have their they each have their pluses and minuses it's really probably comes down to and they're really discrete differences it really comes down to where your priorities are like do you want to chase the extra four six eight ounces to three pounds in various items of your pack or are you like, ah, I would rather have a pack that I can do everything with, but it's going to cost me a pound extra. Just little things like that. It really is. Just little little nuances. Um, you know, Ryan said he favors a 6,300-ish goshawk, right? Um, mm -hmm. Nathan, who works for us, favors a very similar um, rig with a talon. Um, I think Owen f favors a Kenai style. I favor probably the Kenai style slightly. Um, I don't know where Lee sits. He likes the Lanner, which is kind of the, the breakaway version of the Kenai, essentially. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's, man, it's it's tough. It's like you can get into all the nitpicking, but, um, I mean, really, I think, I think you'll be stoked, especially if you're used to the Goshawk type pack i mean that might be yep might be good to go with that but um especially you know with your newfound waterfowl applications <laughs> well and for you your maybe, talents maybe. just transfer over you know so yeah a, i was a goshawk and all through that yeah a mm -hmm. goshawk and ultra and if you're fine if you're fine with that some guys don't like the fiddle of a floating compression you know um Oh, I kind of like that. <laughs> what? I kind of like that. Yeah, and, and so it's it's personal preference. I mean, you can fit a big old cooler under that floating compression if you want, or a small keg, or a chainsaw, or <laughs> a million different things, depending on how you want to do it. So. Yeah, and the versatility, I think, is, is a strong point of y'all's packs. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something I'd come back to that way. Yeah. 
yeah man well hit us up we we might we might know a guy that can that can get you one <laughs> that's what i hear <laughs> can, well i might even have to make one I might have to come take a look in person at Rendezvous because, as as you reminded me, that's not too far out, and uh, no. we will we'll certainly be there. It sounds like y'all will too. I'm trying to line up my turkey hunting expeditions uh, to coincide there with said Rendezvous in Missoula. So I'm looking you guys, forward to it. You guys weren't at the Western Hunt Expo. Was there a reason for that, or we pulled out of um, all shows uh, this winter, actually. Uh, just kind of a flat COVID response, uh, I think, uh, that also didn't, you know, uh, our, our employees weren't too saddened to spend an extra three weeks at home, I think, over the course of the winter. But we'll be back in action um, at all the above uh, coming next winter, I believe. And I believe I might even have a meeting about that in here in the next couple of days. Yeah, understood. I mean, I wasn't, I was really on the fence about our show involvement as well. Like, should we, shouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting times. Yeah, interesting times. But it was it was fun. We had fun and got to get get the packs in people's hands and, you know, show people the sizes of all the tents. And we, we had a good time. We, we made <laughs> a good time. You guys sure. had a good time. <laughs> um, yeah. You got you guys were quite the hoot. <laughs> yeah. Glad to hear it. Glad to yeah. hear it. Well, I'm I'm glad it went well for y'all, and uh, I'm glad, like I said, those minions got to see it. Uh, I've got I've got a guy on our staff that is definitely seek curious right now, <laughs> and uh, I'm really hoping he goes over the top because he's he's definitely the most dedicated mule deer hunter uh, that I'm aware of, uh, and he'd just be a He'd be a, a good person to have in it that way. Yeah. Yeah, well, tell him to give us a call if he has any other questions. Yep. I mean, I will. We'll be happy to answer will. But, well, cool, man. Well, thanks a bunch for jumping on the podcast. I really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm personally stoked for that waterfowl line. I'm, I'm going to have to, uh, going to have to get a whole setup. Um, I'm sa- I'm saving my paycheck, starting now. Get everything. So, um, yeah, we we appreciate you jumping on, man, and y'all keep doing what you're doing over at First Light there. Yeah, yeah thanks so much. Yeah, great to be on. Thanks, y'all.